Hi, I'm Dr. Mila Brujic, and I'm joined with Dr. Maria Walker talking about why things get so foggy on the OI show. So, Maria, welcome back. Um, one of my favorite things to, to talk about here is uh, to, to really pick the brains of the leaders in the profession, and certainly you are um, one of them. And you actually have some new updates to share with us with your lab. So, so please, Maria, share, share your new updates. Yeah, sure. So one of the one of the main things that we look at in my lab, I look at all kinds of scleral complications, but anyone who's heard me speak probably knows I have a special place in my heart for those patients who experience midday fogging. So I've looked, and I think the last time I talked a lot about the lipids that we found, that was, so we've looked at the lipids, we've looked at the proteins, and now we've actually looked at cells as well. And so what we've, probably the most exciting new findings that we have is that we've confirmed, there was actually a study in 2019 that looked and found that there was neutrophils in the fluid reservoir. So that, uh, that gets trapped there. So neutrophils are, as you know, the most abundant immune cell really in the body. Maria, so just to, just to break that down a little bit. So you're looking at scleral lens wares that are those foggers. And again, we know we had those foggers, we have those non-foggers. So you're looking at the ones where that fluid is physically foggy, and we see that on OCT, we see that at slit lamp. And now you're analyzing those patients and asking what's different about these people, correct? Yes, exactly. So we have patients who don't have fogging because you always want to have some sort of control so you can see if it's not there. Um, and if you look at those and compare those to the patients with fogging, that's what we do. So I think last time we talked about the lipids. And so we found that the balance of basically it's there's a lot of free fatty acid lipid types of things. So things that are very hydrophobic. Um, and we also found specifically that the ratio, and this was something I don't think we had known last time, the ratio of unsaturated to saturated lipids is actually increased. Um, and so that was a super interesting finding because one thing that you definitely know, and I know from clinic is that we tend to see it more in our dry eye patients. And so if you look at dry eye patients, they have a very similar sort of dysfunction of their lipids and the ratio of those that are saturated and those that are unsaturated are different. And if you kind of remember to, to biology, right? We know that some, some lipids are uh, solid at room temperature. So it's those ones like the buttery lipids, not the oily lipids that are more prevalent in, in the midday fogging. So that was lipids. So that was number one. So wait a second, Maria. So abnormalities that were seen in the dry patient, you're actually seeing those similar ratios of lipids in the foggers. Exactly. Exactly. And they're coming from the meibomian glands. And so we know that many of our patients, especially the ones with meibomian gland dysfunction, I think clinically, those are the ones to look out for because those are the ones that have abnormal lipids. So you can almost predict that they're going to have more midday fogging based on that. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. So the new stuff, so then we also looked at proteins, didn't really find 
any changes in the proteins, which was interesting because one of the things that I've talked to you about before is these mucins, right? So mucins are lipid or sorry, they're glycoproteins, right? So they're a type of protein with a carbohydrate attached, but those we've looked specifically, and we looked again in this study, didn't find any changes in the mucins. And so again, evidence that that myth, which I understand how that kind of got perpetuated, it makes sense. Um, but, but mucins are actually very hydrophilic or water loving. So I, I really don't think that that's happening in any of the midday fogging cases. So that I think was a, an important kind of pertinent negative that we found. So the other thing that I mentioned was looking at the actual cells. So we take the fluid from the, that bowl of the scleral lens as they're taking it out, and we just drop the fluid, the tear fluid, the reservoir onto a microscope slide. We let it dry. We compare the fogging versus to the non-fogging. Um, and you use a very simple dye. It's called an H&E stain. Any biology, first-year biology student has probably used it in lab. And it'll stain the nuclei and the cells itself. And what we found was you could very clearly see hundreds and hundreds of neutrophils in these fluid samples from midday fogging, which you can tell it's a neutrophil because they have a very distinct shape. Uh, and then they, we found almost none. There was a few in the, in the non-fogging eyes. The other thing that we did find was also epithelial cells. So that's another thing that people say might be in there. And we confirmed that, yes, we think that there's epithelial cells in there as well, but not nearly as many compared to the number of neutrophils in those samples. So uh, non-foggers, um, they have more normal ratios of lipids versus the foggers. Right. Foggers have way less neutrophils than foggers. And you're not seeing any epithelial cells in the non-foggers. And in the foggers, you're actually seeing some epithelial cells. Right. Epithelial cells, are conjunctival, or can you even tell from? Uh, they're epithelial. They're they're likely to be corneal epithelial. They look very much like corneal epithelial, and some of them have kind of the elongated shape that you would expect the cells on the surface, which are going to be sloughed off anyways, to have. Okay. And it, you know, an interesting point to make there as well is neutrophils. There's there's a lot of work now, or maybe not a lot. I'm biased, but there's definitely work now being done. At looking at neutrophils in tears overnight. So we actually know that neutrophils come out into the tears as we're sleeping. So again, you also have that anecdotal clinical evidence of, we. I tell my patients, wait 10, 20 minutes after you wake up before you even think about putting on the lenses. Or we give them a couple drops of saline, like a gentle eye wash. And that, what that is doing, I think, is removing those overnight neutrophils, which are just going to contribute to that, that fogging once they put the lens on and trap it on there. So Maria, I, you know, as, as a leader in the profession, I have to ask you is clinically, I mean, we, we see these people and we, we try and kind of go through a process of elimination on how we're going to eliminate or reduce that fogging. Sometimes you can't eliminate it, but most of the times you can at least reduce it. Um, what are you foreseeing as our strategies to help mitigate that so that we're not seeing inflammation in the bowls of the lenses? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, starting at conservatively, just kind of lifestyle changes for patients. One, treat, we always say this, treat the meibomian gland disease, treat the dry. I know a lot of times they're being used as part of a treatment, but try to get as much of that debris and as much of the that kind of gunky meibomian gland fluid off the eye because the more that's on there and that's in the tears, the more it's going to get trapped on. So for some patients, just a gentle eye wash will kind of work. But, you know, the space that I'm working in now is looking at what some of the therapeutics might be able to do for us because there's a lot of therapeutics that are used for you know, off label, right? You've got mast cell stabilizers, for example, is one that we're looking at because mast cells contribute to neutrophil recruitment. So if you, so I have a couple of patients kind of testing it out for me. Of course, most of our mast cell stabilizers are preserved. So you don't want to put them in the bowl, but using them also treating allergies all of those allergy anti-inflammatory medications are going to reduce the the presence of all the stuff that's on the ocular surface that's going to recruit these these neutrophils in the first place. And I think, you know, using a tear fluid that more closely mimics, you know, we've been saying this again and again, using fluid that is more biocompatible than just a standard saline solution. So we use things like preservative-free artificial tears and some of the preservative-free medications off-label. Um, I think it would be great to see some of those used more um, like in a clinical trial so we can give more specific advice. But I always, you know, I, I'll try different medications with patients, see if it improves. So I can improve it with uh, like antihistamine type of allergy medications um, certainly some of the, you know, I've got some patients who use autologous serum that seems to help. Um, but yeah, we really need more real clinical studies that actually look objectively and see which ones help the most. Yeah, so isolate the foggers and then have them as the trial group and then utilize a group of patients who right. need full fog and expose um, them to treatments and everything or take exactly. expose them to treatment or no treatment. Exactly. It's interesting. So Maria, just out of curiosity, so this is just kind of a question that I have. So as a clinician, you know, one, we can sometimes visibly see um, inflammation through hyperemia or redness on the eyes. Um, one of the things that we can do objectively is we can actually measure matrix metalloproteinase 9 levels or MMP9 from the inflammatory test. I mean, is that something that you you kind of see plays a role maybe for the scleral lens where like check, check just general... Yeah. It's not necessarily in the bowl, but check no, out. That's a great, that's a great question. Yeah. So MMP9 is also something that recruits neutrophils. So yes, absolutely. And the MMP9 levels are very intercorrelated with all the different types of cytokines and proteins that encourage inflammation on the eye. That's why that's the one that we test for in that, in that because that's the one that really goes up when a lot of the other inflammatory meters are going up on the eye. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I do the inflammatory quite a bit actually. Um, and you know, I, I, I couldn't say whether or not I see it more with midday fogging or not, but certainly it helps to kind of guide your treatment. If you're seeing somebody who's got midday fogging, you think they might be at risk, 
doesn't hurt to do the inflammatory. And then you're going to know what the MMP9 levels are. You're going to know there's inflammation on the ocular surface. So you might be more, um, you know, driven to treat them with something that's going to reduce that. I stay away from steroids for the obvious reasons. That's, you know, the best, the best one to use, but all these anti-inflammatory medications, there's so many safe anti-inflammatory eye drops that you can use um, and, and see if, if any of them help. It is interesting. There are, um, you know, we're in a plethora of new generation pharmaceuticals with Lodamax SM, Flarex, um, Isuvis, um, that it's remarkably, they only had about, I think it was 0.3% of patients that experienced an intraocular pressure increase. So there is these, this category of safe steroids that may even have a, not necessarily a long-term role, but a temporary role with this. And it's interesting you say all this because, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of thinking back on the patients that are the foggers and you do see that they, they're the ones with the more reactive eyes, the cones that have the atopic disease, the, the severe dry patients where we're looking at a scleral shell where we're, we have a handful of them where we're putting Regenerize, which is amniotic tissue fluid um, in the bowl of the lens with the actual filling solution, the bowl of the lens prior to installation, just to attempt to remove some of that inflammation that we're seeing. So it's it's interesting that you're making that connection. And I think it's going to provide us with some, I feel, good clinical direction in the future. And you are you are a whirlwind of information. And um it's it's mentally exhausting because you <laughs> take, us, take us through I, I I've always loved understanding the basic science to help explain why we're seeing what we are in clinical practice. Because that actually gives us good direction on how we may be able to reduce this in the future. So um, Maria, thank you so much for joining us on another episode. We really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The OI Show.